Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. As we come to the end of January, I know this is February 1st, but we're coming out of International Child-Centered Divorce Month. I wanted to have Janet Price on. So Janet was a guest on our show last year, but I wanted to bring her back, first of all, because she's the one that told me about this and I love it. And this is her, this is one of her big gigs is she works with parents divorcing with children and she has all kinds of classes and workshops and coaching. So today we have Janet Price of JP Coaching and Consulting. Welcome, Janet. Thank you, Judith. It's so great to be chatting with you again. Thank you. And before we get started, I'm I'm so not used to doing this, but I have to make an announcement that on February 14th, I'm holding my first public workshop. It's free. It will be at noon on Zoom. It's called Recipe for a Heart-Healthy Divorce. It's four steps that if you take any one of these steps, you will change the trajectory of your divorce from acrimonious to amicable, and I've seen it happen over 10 years. So I am delighted to present it with Patty McGuire, a worthiness coach. And together, we're going to give you a, f- a fabulous hour. And if you can't make it, you can always record it. It's it's available. Uh, so uh, you can send me your email addresses through this website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. Uh, go through SpeakerPipe and it'll come right to me. Okay. Had to get that I'm out for sure going to try to calendar and be on there. If not, I am hearing it. Judith. Cool. Cool. It is just, I I love this so much. It's uh, a combination of things I've learned from my own clients going through divorce and observations I've made, plus a lot of professionals. Four steps, completely easy, will change your life. Now, Janet, you're going to change everybody's lives who are (laughs) co-parents because this is super, super important. You sent me this wonderful announcement that was chock full of information. The very first thing I want to ask is, what does being child-centered look like? So when one says child-centered, I'm imagining for many people, they think asking the child what they want and bringing that into the divorce. And that is not at all what being child-centered is about. Being child-centered is imagining how children are experiencing the process of divorce and understanding that children too, everyone in in the family unit of a divorce will go through a grieving process and that includes the children. And so child-centered is understanding that children will go and experience all the same emotions of the divorce grief cycle that all the parents will and understanding they are people. They're not just children. They are real people with real feelings, just like you, and paying attention to how their experience in the divorce and beyond will be. So that's essentially child-centered. I have never heard it explained that well. 
that was great. You know, several things in there. First of all, they're people too. They go through grieving. And I know parents say, listen, I don't want to disrupt their lives. If we don't have to move, I would love to stay here. And that's all great. That That's wonderful consideration. But it's that daily grind of communicating with the other parent. Isn't that where the issues um, are? Is the children watching their parents communicate with each other and then communicate with them. Well, it's definitely one of the biggest pain points um, where children start to feel stuck in the middle or pulled is when they are seeing or hearing or even noticing on one or the other parent body language that seems like conflict or children Children are like the best detectives in the planet. I mean, they can observe anything about us before we even, we think we may be really hiding it, but they know way better than we do. They sense it intuitively. And so, yes, definitely that when our emotions come out anywhere around the children, that's a big portion. The other part about it, though, is... Um, when children, so as children age, the amount for their life of distance that they can be in one house or the other house and still stay connected to their parents, as well as their own life shifts. So for a high school student with all these bags and all this stuff and all this gear going back and forth every other day might not be as child-centered as sitting down and asking, hey, we understand that you've got a very busy life. And so what might be the most convenient for you to be able to spend time with both of us, whether you do that together or separately, and help them see that they were, were seeing their life. And we're helping them. It's not that they get to make the decision. It's that we're showing them we understand what their life is about and then helping together come up with a decision. That's so lovely. That is really so lovely. And you're still functioning as a family that way, aren't you? You are. Now, even this can work even with very high conflict. So as long as one or the other or both independently are into are doing these processes in their own home, uh, this type of paying attention, noticing your children, noticing their behavior, noticing how they're acting with you, sitting if they're seeing really tired and confused, sitting and just Basically, what's going on? Having a conversation, being allowed without your opinion, allowing them to have a conversation with you. Look, everybody has the right to have their own feelings. It's their feelings. It does, just because someone has feelings doesn't mean you need to seek to change them. I mean, as an adult, How does it feel to go be talking to a friend to console and just sort of download because you're not feeling so great? And for the friend then to tell you, oh, go do this and this and this and this, Mm. it shuts you down. 
Yeah. Same with children. So I know as parents at all ages, I know as parents, we want to, particularly when it's sad and frustration with our children, we want to help and support them. But child-centered is listening and hearing and then helping them, huh? So I'm hearing that you're saying as you've gotten with all your activities, this is becoming much more difficult to go back and forth from house to house every two days. Let's problem solve together. What might make that more, you know, easier for you? What things can we do so that's not as difficult for you? And is it okay if they say, let's change the schedule a little bit? Then what might that look like, right? Then you, so inviting them, this is older children where you can say problem solve with them. The younger children, it would be a little bit of a different situation of how you might walk through this conversation. But um, is it okay to ask them ends up being a little bit about your dynamics. So if your dynamics is a place where you could then go back with your co-parent and have that kind of conversation, maybe even the family, like you talked about Judith together. Yes. If it's a really high conflict, then I would be cautious about offering, or I, I would be very careful in how, um, you think about entering that conversation thinking because the result may be in order to make that change, you might end up back in court to ask for that change. Is that something you want? Is that something that was more? So your dynamic is very particular. However, even in the highest conflict, staying out of court, you can problem solve yourself and your child, and you can help your child walk through ways to help them be, huh, you know, even just as you said, so your child, let's just say it's high school and, and you problem solve and your child says, well, yes, I could do that and keep half my stuff, you know, keep two sets of clothes. So that would be easier. Or yes, it would be easier if maybe I transitioned on Thursdays because of this practice and all that. Well, how do you think your, well, I'm a woman. So how do you think your father would deal if you spoke to them about that? Right. Okay. Yeah. So then you help walk through and then I don't know. Well, let's, let's practice how you might be able to just describe those feelings and have that conversation with your father. Right. So you can help your children advocate for themselves for their needs. Okay, that sounds great. I, I love that. Now, you know, you and I have talked in the past on and off camera, so to speak. And my biggest concern always that I like to ask people who work with parents and children like yourself is this. How can a parent be child-centered, child-focused if they're mired in their own torment and sadness and are trying to get through their own emotional divorce, so to speak? How do they accommodate their children? You know, actually, that's really interesting. So let's take it a step back when you said emotional divorce. And I had mentioned it also. Um, The divorce grief cycle is the same grief cycle that one goes through when they lose a loved one. So 
The difference is that somehow over time, our brain can rather rationalize that uh, the person we lost is no longer with us. So somehow we are able to move through the cycles of denial and anger and negotiation and depression and acceptance, maybe not exactly in that circle, but a little more cleanly. When one divorces, and most particular when children are involved, you're going to be working with your co-parent for the rest of your life. I'm not kidding you. Let's rest of your life, not just till they're 18, but really you will be in that person's life for the rest of your life. And so those, like you mentioned, the emotionals, those emotions and the emotional divorce is when Someone is stuck in one of those phases and is, and it can be right now. And it's acceptable that everybody's going to have to go through and experience many of these things. Um, But if that stays for a very long time, then those emotions of the one person that may still be in the emotional stage can somehow more like gears get entangled with the other co-parent and start messing each other up. So you can then go from denial to to anger, to acceptance, to depression. It goes in all these different, because we're feeding off of one another. So back to your original question, which was how can a parent help focus on their children while they're experiencing and it's really 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 difficult and those individuals have to the number one is being becoming aware waking up to the fact that yes this is hitting you and accept that yes this is hitting you and then looking for a way to of some sort of outlet to compartmentalize walking through what's hitting you and the time you're spending or thinking about the children. Now, it's very difficult. In one of my group programs, um, which is the court-ordered program, I had a woman who had been separated from from the father of her child for five years. And I'm not 100% sure that this is actually the reason, but they were referred to this program because they were very, very high conflict. And through the um, seven days of this program, she woke up and said, I guess it is my emotions that are the reason for the conflict. So places that she actually, she still wanted to know, she wanted the answer. Why did you leave us? Why was I not good enough? And so you could see through all of the days how that overshadowed her thinking and her thought process in every single part of her day. Yes, I can see that, of course. And so that's and so she she was unable to do what I described, which was be cognizant. And this program helped her say, oh, wow. So now five years later, she said, oh, wow. I can see my emotions are clouding everything else. So back to your question, originally just noticing 
accepting and noticing it's okay. Yes, and this wouldn't have happened, though, I'm going to guess, unless she was in the in one of your programs or got help from somewhere. That is why I really think parents need help. They need somebody from the outside. You need a mirror of self-reflection, but you can't hold it up to yourself. You're just so enmeshed in your sadness and the shock. I mean, even if you know you didn't have a great marriage, It's still shocking when the end comes and you have to deal with it, isn't it? It's, I mean, even if you are the one that chose the divorce, you're grieving the loss of the intact family as you knew it for all of those years. So even if you're thinking when you start out the divorce, yay, I'm free, this is going to be my new life, you will walk through so many different It will hit you when you don't know. You'll go to a place, you'll hear a music, you'll hear something, and you will remember either a special, unique thing with your partner, or you will remember that special thing as the family unit. And the family unit is the unit. It just looks very different. So you will be um, impacted. And you will go through those phases and you're right. There's only, I mean, some parents have the foresight enough to understand that they need help early on mm-hmm. and have a therapist and have somebody they're working with. And that's where they get look for more additional support for their children. If they know that they're really bring friends that have, you know, that have kids the same age. So they know, oh, this is, if I really crash today, I'm taking my children over to my friend's house for the day or whatever to help out. Right? Yes. Now, Janet, two things. Um, This is a great segue into where I wanted to go next, because I'm looking at the information that you had sent out to many of us. And that is like you just referred, divorce alters a child's sense of their family unit. Yes, And so you have a program about reinstating this, but how do you reinforce a child's sense of family when there are two households? So that the high conflict program is at the very tail end, of course. Um, there's all, I also offer programs at the time when they are thinking of uncoupling. And so in that program is where helping parents understand this grief cycle, that they are not the only one that will be going through the grief cycle, that the children also experience and then helping them walk through paying attention to the children's feelings. And uh, just like anybody, feelings change, you know, geez. Just as though we're freezing right now here in Southern California, Judith. The third world, third world LA. Yes, we are. I mean, you know, and for us, I feel like this year has been in Southern California change almost every two days. And that's not normal for us. But in life, we have change. And so helping the children model by weather, by preschool to kindergarten, kindergarten to elementary, elementary to middle school. You crawled and then you walked. You learned how to ride a bike. You didn't know how to um, write, read and write. And now you do. All of those things are change, right? So helping the children see that change is 
change. Change is a fact of life. And change doesn't is not always bad. It's what you make of it. So helping, that's one key element to talk with the children about. And the other key element is the feelings. Everybody has the right to their own feelings, no matter, and feelings also change. I could be so angry or frustrated at myself because, I don't know, I I, I got in a car accident <laughs> and over time, then I learned that, geez, I really wish I hadn't done that, but um, feelings also change. You're cutting in and out a little bit, but here's what I oh, wanted darn. to add. That's okay. That's okay. It was just a, a little bit. Um, what I wanted to add was in terms of uh, giving the children a sense that there is still a family unit. You know, one of the things that I was taught to say years and years ago is we're still a family. We just live in two houses. And the parents are still a family, whether they want to admit it or not, connected by their children. So maybe just in little things like language, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, um, your other home referencing the other parents' home as your other home. So that still keeps everybody connected. And, you know, maybe just in, in, in conversation, make sure that the extended family is recognized, so to speak. Absolutely. So it starts with the parents understanding that concept and buying into that concept that the family unit is still the family unit and will never not be the family unit. The children share DNA of both the parents. And so they're the the worst case scenario is if it's difficult for a parent to accept that what children subconsciously feel is that. Um, they are not loved and accepted. So if one parent is very angry and cannot accept that the family is still the family and the other parent is still part of the family and is very angry, then the child intuitively feels as though the parent is angry at them as well. It all, yes, it's one of the most important things for parents to know. The child always brings it back to themselves. It was explained to me by some mental health people that, you know, the child's world is them. And anything that happens to them, they think is a reflection back on them. What did I do wrong? Oh, my God, was it my grades? Whatever it was, right? They always think it's a reflection of them that something bad is happening in their lives. Exactly. And then for very, you know, for families that really want to help the children feel connected and stay in touch, um, there's this amazing journal called Home Sweet Homes that is a co-parenting journal where it's really the child's journal that goes back and forth and it's it's 365 days and everybody can document in, in this and that's also a way to help this is really child centered the child gets to talk and go from home to home and share their life and then they do not feel so this is one way there's lots of other books that is are this out one of there. the resources on your website do you have this on your website okay, I, I i have this resource um 
linked to, I have it on a, uh, an Amazon list that has lots of resources and you can find that on my website. Okay, cool. Um, so there's lots of books for the initial time when you're having the discussion with the children, what you can do to help your, ch- your children really understand that it's the family's the family. We're just going to be living in two homes. And then again, their feelings. I would seek to at every level to have the children define how they think of their two homes. Do they call it mom's home and dad's home? So then if you're, if I'm dad, then Mm. at mom's home or at dad's home, not your other home. So I would seek for allowing the children to define how they want to call it and then reinforcing it. So providing the space to help them walk through so it feels comfortable. So it's free to talk about everything new, what's good, what's bad, what they miss. All of those things are normal. That's a normal part of change. That's really great. And and I love that journal. That's wonderful. Um, In terms of um, in, in terms of laying the foundation for your children for the future, divorce is an excellent opportunity to teach them about conflict resolution and how you still have to get along with people that you may argue with. But there's another point that was on this list of really important points that you set, set, sent out, sorry. And that was your trauma in divorce can be transferred onto your children and they can carry that trauma with them and it can come up when they go to have their own intimate interpersonal relationships and can end up in divorce. Can you speak to that uh, for a second, please? Yes. I mean, they that's the generational impact of divorce trauma. And um, really, when that 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 occurs when the divorce and the co-parenting situation continue the conflict so the conflict in the household was then continued after in the co-parenting and the children are learning that it's not okay to love and be loved by both of their parents mm. And or they're learning additional things about each of their parents now that maybe they were protected slightly before in the intact family. And now they're having more of a one on one experience. And so the important thing that we as parents can do it more than anything else is to teach our children how to problem solve on their own. That is one of the best skills for them in for their future life. So we can take whatever our opportunity is. And if we're able to show them that there's lots of pass, and yeah, this is not very good right now. And so let's get a plan to walk through and, sh- and model a healthy way of moving through the change or a healthy way of solving a problem versus maybe using a coping mechanism of, you know, some of the bad habits that people have as a coping mechanism. Yeah, We will be modeling some, we will model for our children a healthy way to process through difficult situations. And then they will watch that 
So when you have two, maybe you have two parents and you have one parent who's modeling more healthy ways of walking through a trying time and another parent who's not, the children then watch both. And I am, um, it is known that children develop their opinion about both. And it does not mean, which I would love all parents to understand, does not mean that just because maybe there's unhealthy um, behaviors with one parent or the other or a little bit, that the children will also grow up to have those unhealthy behaviors. As long as there is strong role, role models in place that teaches them another way, the likelihood is they will see the successfulness of the healthy way and they will follow. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because, you know, there's always a struggle when you have a parent that wants the kids to go to bed at a certain time, not ridiculously early, like seven o'clock, but 839, whatever. And, you know, not be on video games a lot, eat healthy, all those good things. Right. And that parent generally feels in their own mind that they're minimalized, marginalized, but there's more fun at the other parent's house. I think you're right. The kids get that the healthy way in the long run is the best way for them because they feel better when they get up in the morning, they get better grades. And so you don't have to put the other parent down. You just keep modeling that good behavior yourself. And I think the kids will pay attention. And come to their own conclusion. Here's another example of child-centered. And it's, you can begin with these conversations very young. If that is, let's say it's eating differences in the households. Then when you're in, and let's say I'm the parent that has the healthier eating um, rules in my household. I can sit with my child and start paying attention. How are you feeling about these? How does it make you feel? And I can start speaking with them so that they pay more attention to exactly what you said for themselves so that as they get older, they actually start making their own choices for themselves at the other house. I can study. I can do this. I need to go to bed earlier so that I can actually listen in my class versus falling asleep. And that has nothing to do with the other parent. That has to do with being child-centered and helping your children tap into how their body is feeling and doing and their thoughts when when they're with you. Perfect. Janet, that was a perfect example. You're actually absolutely right. So to avoid the temptation, since we're talking about a food food example, avoid the temptation of putting down the other parent. Oh, he or she has no idea what they're doing. They've always been a bad cook. I can't believe you went to McDonald's another time. Instead of going down that road and being child-centered, it's how did you feel? Uh, you know, just how did you feel the next morning in school? And how did you do on your test? And yes, so it's always about having the child express how they felt, what they think, and just tacitly providing your own good behavior examples. Yeah. Janet, our time, I mean, half an hour is so short. And I'm, I'm so sorry that I would love to talk to you even more. But I know you have so many different classes, workshops, approaches to parenting. And 
you do work with children of a certain age, don't you? Mm-hmm. What's the age, Janet? So middle school and high school support groups. So okay. that's um, directly what is um, with them. And that is when they're, it's not because the parents want them to. It's when they're old enough to opt in that they need enough, they want their own support. Younger than that, it gets more about the parent and less about their needs. Understood. Understood. That's great because, you know, not everybody works with children of any ages. It's very difficult to find people who are with that. Janet, even though all of your information is going to be in the show notes, people listening do like to jot down a a contact uh, email, phone number. What's the easiest contact for you? So uh, my website is www.jpcoachingandconsulting.com. And the email is jprice at jpcoachingandconsulting.com. Um, and you can find me basically the same on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and not TikTok. <laughs> not TikTok yet, but probably soon. So thank you. yet again, thank you for stopping by, making the time, a wealth of great information. And thank you for sending me the flyer on you know, January being International Child Centered Month. I thought that was great. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Judith. It's been, you know, this is something January is traditionally, as you know, the busiest month for divorce filings. And this is something that a woman, not myself, started 16 years ago um, to reframe this, to think and put the children first instead of being this nasty, terrible divorce month. Let's talk about it's child centered. If we're going to be divorcing, let's keep the focus about the children. Just because we can't get along doesn't mean that the children still don't have a family. Absolutely. Well said. And I thank all of you for joining. As I always do, we have the best guests, the best information, and I really appreciate that you recognize that and join us. I will say once again, on this website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com, I have on the homepage the announcement for February 14th, uh, the workshop recipe for a heart-healthy divorce. Patty McGuire and myself are giving it. And if you would please leave me your email address uh, through SpeakerPipe, I will absolutely make sure you get the link to the Zoom uh, presentation. So thank you all very much. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 